The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, you may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, you come to us. And you heal us without our asking. And you show us the Father's love. And you show us a new kingdom. Let us be part of God's kingdom. Amen. Welcome today to the holy day of liturgically known as Super Bowl Sunday. Sorry, we just got to talk about it. You can't fight it. You've got to acknowledge it. I heard this story. A young guy is in a really difficult situation. He bought tickets for the Super Bowl far, far in advance. And in the meantime, he fell in love and was engaged to be married. But he had forgotten that he and his fiancée had scheduled the wedding on Super Bowl Sunday. And now he realizes he can't go. It's out of the question. So if you're interested and want to go instead of him, here's the information. It's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5 p.m., Her name is Louise, and she'll be wearing the white dress. Okay, enough of the football stories. Jesus and his followers leave the synagogue in Capernaum, where they had been preaching, where he had been preaching with authority. He had cast out a demon, and now it's Saturday afternoon. We might guess that Jesus is tired. He's probably ready to have lunch. But when he gets to Peter and Andrew's home, 
he finds that the hostess, Peter's mother-in-law, is sick. Did you get that? Peter was married. Jesus heals the mother-in-law who gets up and then serves the group. Kind of sounds a little fishy, right? Healing her so that she serves. We know that Jesus doesn't do that because when he is tested in the wilderness, he doesn't turn stone into bread. So she's healed, he's fed, the word of the day gets out to the whole town, and they know Jesus is at Peter and Andrew's house. So they start coming. They're bringing all the sick. They're bringing those with demons. And the whole city ends up at the door. And Jesus helps them. He healed many. He cast out demons. He warned the demons not to say anything. And then... He goes in the morning to a deserted place to pray, to regroup, because healing and tending the sick and the broken is hard work. It's physically and spiritually exhausting. And we who are Christians and work in the church know this to be true. It's exhausting. We are jars of clay, and we are ordinary, and we are fragile, and we need time to pray. That word immediately is still in the text. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus comes immediately to work, to heal. That word immediately carries with it the idea that Jesus' mission is not just for the little town, but it's for the world. It's breaking out. And we learn in this lesson that Jesus is not staying where the people are looking for him, but he goes on to other towns where people will invite him in or where Jesus himself will invite himself into their life. There's something offensive in what Jesus is doing. There's stories of rabbis taking the hand of sick man and healing them. But Jesus touches a woman and heals her. And she not a member of his family. And he did it on the Sabbath. So we start to see some law-breaking by Jesus. He worked on the Sabbath. 
He touched a woman. He healed a woman who was not a relative. He did the act of healing on the Sabbath. The woman, after she was healed, fixed a meal. She worked on the Sabbath. And so we have to ask why. Why would Jesus break all those rules? The easiest answer is to show us that he is Lord of the Sabbath. But we also are left with another problem. We who are in this modern day pray for Jesus to heal others. So that they can become well and be restored to our society. And the problem comes in when we pray for a healing and they are not healed. Why? What's going on? I think we need to look at the relationship between faith and healing and faith and salvation. We know that at times Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And we also know that at times your faith does not save you. It is God who saves you by grace. You know, the good old Lutheran saying, saved by grace through faith. Don't ever cut that short to just say saved by grace. Because that's not saved by faith. Because that's not always a true statement. In our text today, Jesus heals. And there's no response or asked question by Peter's in-law, mother-in-law. So we have two questions going on. Faith is not a requirement for healing or salvation, but one thing is needed, and that is that the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, is necessary for spiritual wholeness to take place. We often think that Jesus healed everyone. And in most cases, that's probably true. But we really need to remember he could not meet every need. He could not respond to every person because he was human. If he was in Capernaum and not in Bethesda, the people in Bethesda could not be healed because Jesus wasn't there. And if Jesus was in the wilderness, then the people back in town could not be healed. Jesus may have met the needs of many people in Palestine, but not all. 
human has a limit in time, space, and energy. And that changes when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. But before that, there's always enough, and there's never enough. Sometimes we pray in the wrong way, and it's not enough. And sometimes we just say, Lord, help, and it's more than enough. We're afraid of not being in control. Not being in control. Do you realize that when we are baptized, we are not in control? In a way, to use the words of the text, we are possessed by no action of our own or merit of our own, and God makes us daughters and sons. It's that one baptism by water and the word. And then we have God's gift that fights against sin, death, and the devil. And we become part of God's kingdom, fighting for the goodness. Sometimes the devil's empty promises and lies cause us to pray. God calls us to prayer. And, in when, and when we take time to hear God's word, to listen to it, to reflect on it, to be fueled by it, then we are given a gift of word and sacrament. We come with empty hands and we make the declaration. The resurrection has already happened and we have won the war. Luther tells us, prayer begins when we listen to God's word rather than bringing a shopping wish list to Santa Claus. Jesus went in this text to a place alone to pray, to become nearer to God. And there's a outline of prayer in this text today. Jesus proclaims the acceptance of God to all people. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus casts out evil, the demons. Jesus retreats into prayer. That outline for us is similar. We go into the power of God's word, we put our faith in action, and we retreat to prayer. It's a rhythm of following the life of Christ, that we pray that God is near us, that Jesus is with us. Then we are centered in Christ.
man.